I thought you were dead. Sun out of your eyes and be yourself. I heard you were dead. She's dead, wrapped in plastic. That man's dead back then. It was worse than dead. He must be dead. Is this a dead man, Duck? Yeah, hey, you get to intro. No Tom. I get to intro. Tom's out. I'm your substitute teacher, Travis. Welcome to Roast Mortem Cast, the only podcast that puts oral in historically. I'm Travis. I'm Connor. And I am Lizzie. We have a guest. Oh, Yay! yeah. You guys Welcome. do not know who I am. <laughs> Just we so have no idea who you are. He stumbled into my home to start talking about history, apparently. All right, all right. We're working our way through the entire Saltman family. Do you have any extended relatives? Oh, man. Well, yeah, we have Michael Regan, who should be here and isn't here for whatever oh, reason. I don't know what bullshit that is, but that's why you guys are stuck with me tonight. <laughs> it's interesting, because I thought Mike would like the person who you're doing, and I don't know why he's not here. Mike, I'm calling you out. It's me, your cousin. He said he was going to... He said he was going to a mixer. I'm only assuming that like he's like mixing punch with like skateboards and I don't know, kickflipping with other people. I didn't know Mike was in a fraternity. I didn't. Yeah, I was going to say. I'm thinking like a business mixer, right? Like Mike is in a suit and he's just (laughs) like longboarding, handing out business cards like like, while skating away. Like does a little kickflip. Hello. Writes his phone number on chips of skateboards and says, here's my business card. Yeah. That's all he has is the chips of skateboards. <laughs> all the skateboards he breaks, which I know people get yeah. bullshit for that, too, and they should. Dude, that's a waste of money. It's a waste of money. All right, so most important part of the show, Tom, if you haven't noticed, Tom is not here. He's going. He's cocooned. He's uh, <laughs> going to emerge a new man, just like I did in the beginning of this the series four years ago or however long it's been. Yeah, he's building his, his new voice. Removed. I think he's gonna yeah. sound some like something like Gilbert Gottfried is what I'm hoping. Oh yeah, we gotta take bets. I said I was gonna sound more like Waluigi, but I don't think I do. <laughs> now, is it possible if he goes higher pitch, he will just sound like me and Emily because we sound Emily and I sound exactly the like. We could I could have just yeah. said I'm Emily. You could have said, said you're Tom with your new voice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Tom with my new voice. No, yeah, they're, they're putting they're, yeah, putting together his vocal cords, so he's got a higher voice. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm Tom Foreman. Be the Yente you always wanted to be. All right, so most important part of the show, uh, how's your week? Lizzie, how's your week? Oh, my week is great. I took care of the boys that I take care of all week. I am a full-time nanny. I take care of t- beautiful twin boys and we have a blast all week and uh sometimes connor comes and hangs out with us and so got to see connor this week and we're good that's that my week was great that's uh, i love that that's all i have to report are they skateboarding boys are they growing up to be mikes degenerates no they will be surfers so a little a little bit degenerate Uh, but they'll be they're far rock surfers so they're good you know saltwater degenerate not gravel degenerate so a little bit yeah Yeah, a little stinkier. Like there's a different smell about those. Yeah, probably like dirtier hair, but less sweaty. Yeah. If I'm around, they will definitely be less sweaty because I'm just gonna be like, you have to clean yourself up, kid. You're too sweaty right now. Like when I can't. How many moist towelettes do you go through? Oh uh, man, (laughs) Uh, 
I will. I, re- I definitely replace the uh, wipes like you know twice a week at least. So that's like oh. probably like a hundred to two hundred. We use like probably two hundred wipes a week at least. Also, these are young kids, right? Like I'm oh, assuming they're always they, sticky. They will be one year old in two okay. weeks, and I've known them since they were itty bitty babies. Okay, so they're sticky all the time and oh, throwing yeah. up and shit. Real sticky. Okay. Oh okay. yeah. Connor, how about you? Uh, my week was good. I, you know, worked at the libraries. I helped out with the babies, and pretty low key. You know, we got our boosters last week. Boost. That was exciting. Boosted. Yeah. So now we're straight boosted, full five G, as Mike would say, and uh, ready to go. Ready to take on the whatever the next variant's gonna be. What do you think? It'll yeah, be? I can't wait. We have, we've had Delta. We've had Omicron. Mm. Whatever's jobby. <laughs> it's gonna make it's gonna make you do Punjabi dances in the streets. I think that will be sneezing. my favorite variant yet. That'll be my favorite month of COVID. I'll have the news on every day. <laughs> yeah, I want life to be more like Bollywood. I'm just saying. Um, and every day with a but, nice uh, musical number. Yeah, yeah. good. Travis, how was your week? My week has been hectic. I flew cross country. I've been stabbed with more needles than I can count. Uh, basically, I had I'm not I don't didn't pick up the great Portland tradition of doing heroin. I had uh, fillings put in my mouth. I got boosted as well today, so I'm a little bit kind of under the weather. Um, but yeah, I've just been fucking. I've been going crazy. I ran like ten miles. Oh my goodness! Not all in one snap. <laughs> over the course of a while. Yeah, let's just be clear here. I'm not running 10 miles. I'm not one of those type of people. <laughs> but my knee has stopped working because of that, thankfully. So, uh, yeah, it's been a hectic week, but we're here, ready to roast some boy. Yeah. Some boy. Somebody. Get him real toasty. Yeah. Let's do it. Who's on the chopping block, Trev? So, tonight, we are roasting a man that was very influential on little baby Travis's life. He was so influential that my first tattoo when I turned 18 was a character from his comic strip. Now, if you know me, what is it? What is it? What is it? It's Captain Haddock from The Adventures of Tintin. I love Tintin so much. Actually, that's my PSN name if you want to uh, play on PlayStation with me, Capt Haddocks. Oh. Um, Yeah. So uh, the the author, his pen name of, uh, the author of Tintin, his pen name is uh, Urge, which I've always pronounced Herge. That's how it's spelled, and I'm stupid in American. I was thinking Hergie when I saw it. Like Fergie? You're closer, yeah. I was thinking Hergie. Herge. 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 Like like Hermes, right? Oh, I see. It looks like Hermes. Yes. I yeah. see. Yeah. It's French. You gotta, you gotta pretend you have like um, a mouthful of melted butter. Yes. French is hard. Yeah, this is also we tried. This is also a French episode, so like you know, I'm gonna have very good pronunciation here. Uh, French listeners, hit me up. I'll do some VO for you. I might do fromage. I know it. I love it. So although Tintin um, might not be so popular. In America, it's actually one of the most successful comics in the world. It's at it sits at number ten, right behind Dragon Ball, One Piece, Naruto, and Peanuts. 
Tintin wow. beat Garfield. Whoa. My Throwing goodness. Down. Is this just comic strips? Not. Uh, yeah, not cartoons, like comic right. strips. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know Dragon so. Ball started as a comic. Yeah, it's like a manga. manga. Oh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I was surprised that it beat Garfield, though. I mean, come on. Who doesn't like a lasagna and Mondays? I hate them. I guess it's non-Americans. Terrible. Non-Americans yeah. hate lasagna, love Mondays, so they don't read Garfield. <laughs> yeah, shout out to us. Are you <laughs> from another country? Do you love Monday? Yeah. <laughs> love Mondays. Love starting that work week, right? <laughs> yeah. Love Monday and veggies. Oh, yes. <laughs> so myself, like many other North American millennials, were introduced to... A Canadian cartoon reproduction of Tintin that was released in 1999. It aired on HBO. And, of course, my family was too poor to afford HBO, but my grandma was loaded, so she would record it on VHS for me every week, and I'd watch, get to watch Tintin. It's Did it ever, like, thing. record too long, and you started getting, like, late-night HBO programming at a young age, too? Is that is that possible? That was a bonus. I was like, Grandma, Grandma, can I please see the end of Tintin again? Leave the room. <laughs> Grandma, they're airing Tintin at 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> Don't watch it. Yeah, it was that and Babar, which was also a very strange uh, ca- uh, uh, cartoon. Ba- that yeah. Was that Elephant the Man? Elephants? Your family like but no? Ba-ba- yes, um, but like I I think Tom actually would probably be able to speak more on that, but I I know it was like around. Yeah. I, I, I too had a grandmother who could pay for more television um <laughs> right, and, parents were willing to, yeah. and also loved being able to go to their house to watch disney on the weekends because we had like no no pb and j otter during the week there was no, yeah. none of that nonsense you can't you gotta go to grandma's to watch johnny tsunami come on i want to go to grandma's yeah. yes exactly so i could relate to that feeling travis See, see, now they don't know about it because now grandma's it's not important as a grandma to get a vhs you know, so you can record and get those grandkids to your stinky house. They don't want yes. the Werther's original. They want to watch cartons. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I found out that there was a Tintin comic, and quickly it became a frequent. The different episodes of Tintin would become, and volumes would become a frequent on my Santa's list. So I'm a big old Tintin comic boy. Um, now, for those of you that aren't familiar, Urge, Urge actually started a style called Lena Claire, which uh, was revolutionary at the time. Um, But, um, and I also feel that Tintin is almost the perfect adventure comic for little boys in particular, just because it's about a little boy reporter, right? I mean, I guess if you're a girl, you can relate to, but it's, hers was very male oriented. Let's just say that. Yeah. Well, Um, when did he write this in the 50s or the 40s was when he first wrote it? Uh, he started, so he started in the late, uh, in the early 30s and went until the 80s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a long run. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, something less than perfect, uh, may have been, uh, Urge himself. Uh, now, you see, he was arrested as a Belgian conspirator during the occupation of Belgium by the Nazis. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I want to put it out to you guys and the listeners at home. You know, we know Urge was not a perfect man, but was he a Nazi conspirator? Like, I'm going to let you guys decide. I'm going to let the audience decide. Should we cancel Tintin? 
was Urge a, a Nazi pawn or was he just a guy trying to make comics? Because it's still debated. It's right. still debated. People, Some people are like, I will not let Tintin near my kids. He's a, a mean boy reporter wearing knickers. Um, and other people are like, well, you know, that's just the times. Yeah. Well, I'm a Jew, so we can see how I feel at the end of this. I'll give you a, right. give you a gauge. A good thing you yeah. have a Jew right. on the On tonight's on episode, episode of Roast <laughs> are we canceling Tintin? Yeah. Tune that's, in. That's the... Yeah. So, let's jump into his life here. His real name is not Urge. It's George Prosper Remy. Oh, okay. He that sounds born... like a Nazi collaborator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, he was right. born in 1907 in the suburbs of Brussels in Belgium. Um, and George just describes his childhood as simply gray. Just really boring, run-of-the-mill stuff. Except for the fact, you know, that he was living in Belgium during the First World War. So, I mean, it's not like you're growing up in, uh, you know, uh, Islip. Uh, there's shit going around. <laughs> I don't know, but then again, occupied by the Germans, if he's saying it's boring, not a, not a good sign for the future. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so, we're not... We're not really going to go too much into his childhood, um, because in his own words, it, he didn't really say much. Uh, there could have been a little bit of boy touching going on by his uncle, disputed, whatever. I feel like most writers that we've done on the show, there's some type of boy touching involved or girl touching. Just kind of, I don't know. I, I You're that if you like want to be a writer. Up a lot. I feel like also in a recent episode, somebody else, one of you guys was saying how a lot of Yes, a lot of these writers encounter, you know, some touching along the way. Yeah. So, um, yes, yeah, so it's been brought up recently. A lot of no-no zones so. if you want to be a, a successful writer. Yeah. You need a real tough life. Yeah. So the only thing George really liked to do was doodling, going to the movies, and Boy Scouts. He loved the Boy Scouts. Connor and Lizzie, Connor, were you a Boy Scout? Were you a Girl Scout, Lizzie? No, 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 never a Boy Scout. Love those cookies, though. Yeah. Oh Trev, yeah, them were cookies. you a Boy Scout? <laughs> I was. I was the laziest Boy Scout of them all. Uh, you didn't. You didn't make Eagle. No, I made it to life. I basically just did it because I love camping. You know. Yeah. I actually like... almost cut my th my thumb off one time whittling. Like it was down to the bone. <laughs> I split my bone in half. Just kept. Uh, but I loved. Yeah, I loved. I loved Boy Scouts. That was my jam. I'm going to um, whittle me a new thumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're missing stuff. <laughs> yeah. So scouting had actually started in 1908, so a year after he was born. So George would have been one of the first Boy Scouts, you know, around. He loved the outdoors, He, uh, but the thing was he hated his first troop that he signed up with. Mm. He called That's them godless. And George only lasted with them for a year, and then he joined a new Catholic Boy Scout troop. So you're combining two pedophilic organizations. I was going to say, one. which one was the one where most of the touching? That's was what happening? I was like, thinking. Yeah, I was like, from one semi-touching, he's like, you wanted to go to more touching because like success could come at a greater <laughs> yeah. rate. Like, yeah, I was wondering, like, like oh, he didn't like that one. That was where the diddling happened. And then you're like, then he goes to the Catholic one. I was like, well, wait a minute, that's where the diddling. Happened. This troop was actually in Hollywood. Megazord boy touching. I'm just kidding. I mean, oh, it was okay. not. It was that would have been really oh, boy. <laughs> um, Lots of handle. <laughs> so uh, this new Catholic church, which uh, Catholic troop, 
called Bedem Powell Organization of Bedem Powell Organization of Scouts of Belgium. Weird title. Long. B B P A S B. Uh, George loved this, uh, so he was like, "Hey, I could be outside." Um, the scouts encouraged him to draw his little comic doodles. And in the 1920s, um, the Boy Scouts actually told him, they like, hey, do you want to do illustrations and covers for the Scout magazine, Le Boy Scout? Mm. On top of that, because it was a Catholic troop, he started to draw in the Catholic paper, Le Be We Brev, The Wheat That Grows, was the name of the paper. Oh, that's a good name for like a weekly paper. Yeah. So we got this little boy. He's loves his scouts. He's doodling. Um, George. Diddling. Yeah. A baby. <laughs> some diddling. Sorry. I'm making Uncle. a lot of accusations right now. I should, I should <laughs> scale it back. I just got here. Well, so just welcome back. to Roast Mortem. You're fitting right in. This is all true. <laughs> Accuse everyone of pedophilia. <laughs> mm -hmm. It just seems to be the common it just, theme. <laughs> it just pops up. I don't know. <laughs> Incest and pedophilia just happens. Oh man, yeah. don't every get me going on an incest rant about New York figure. State. Ugh. Every historical figure, it's pick one: pedophilia yeah. or incest. George also, on top, I mentioned he liked movies. He's a big movie buff. And now, this is back when like there was like five movies because you know movies were just coming out. Um, he liked Buster Keaton. He really liked Charlie Chaplin. Um, you know, just a whole silent auditorium of people trying to just get their danguses touched by their childhood sweethearts. That's what just movies were. There's no sound. Guy tapping on a keyboard. Be like, oh, yeah, give me popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> I love going to the pictures. <laughs> yeah. One movie that stood out uh, was this, I think it's called, it was called Gertrude the Dinosaur. I, I didn't write the title here. But it was Gertrude the Dinosaur, which was actually animated. Um and it was just about this big, dumb dinosaur, and he's running around. And George really liked that. He's like, whoa, comics can move. That's sick. So remember, this is very simple times here. We're going to be talking about, like, some very base. Like, when you think of cartoons and comics, like, there's a language to them that, like, wasn't developed at this point. You yeah. Know? Um, like, the comics of the day where that, you know, have you ever seen Yellow Kid? That terrifying little boy in, like, a smock, and it's, like, him hanging out in the streets of New York slums. Oh, I think that I've was seen the comic. Yellow Kid before. No. Yeah. <laughs> Connor will pull up a photo for me. I'll pull up Yellow Kid for Lizzie. A little reference. Yes. I have it. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's so sad seeing it. Yeah. Oh stop! That's devastating. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah, comic. Yellow Kid. People are like I can't wait for the next episode. Next panel of Yellow Kid. <laughs> He's kind of like a Caillou. Yeah, this is they based, kind of look this like Caillou. is definitely who Caillou is based off of. I Who's mean, Caillou? That, Caillou. Caillou's like a a kids cartoon that's been out recently. He's just kind of. This, this is Caillou. Like Caillou's oh, yeah. been out for a oh, long yeah. time. He's French too, right? Or I some think type so. of something like European. That. But yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely based off Yellow Kid. <laughs> they just cleaned him up. Gave him a shower. Yeah. Yes, pretty much. Gave him a shirt instead of a smock. <laughs> yeah, so things like Yellow Kid and like those political cartoons, that's what people were dealing with. Urge didn't invent the comic, but he was part of this foundation of what the comic is today. So he's like, all right, I love this dinosaur thing. I'm going to create for this Boy Scout magazine and the Catholic magazine 
The Adventures of Todar, which Todar. sounds like Tintin. And it's kind of like, have you ever seen the first season of The Simpsons? Where like there's like this <laughs> shitty uh, uh, cartoon Uncanny Valley, like Todar. Homer scares me in the first season yeah. of The Simpsons. <laughs> Todar. If you can find a copy of Adventures of Todar and you know what Tintin is, you're like, what? <laughs> what is this terrifying demon I've summoned? <laughs> yeah, this is some bad fan art. Yeah, um, yeah I, the way I kind of describe it is if, if George was just like slamming back whippets and then trying to draw Tintin, that's how this looks. It's like all squiggly <laughs> and like right. shitty. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like asking him to do it when he's a little drunk. Yeah. Well, he. I think he was. This is, remember. This is like turn of the century. People are just constantly oh, wasting. Oh, I meant like oh, past his baseline. You know? Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah, past the regular wake up and get drunk. Yeah. All right. So during high school times, George adapted his famous Pen Fifteen name, Urge, and it's spelled H E R G E. Urge. Which again, I always called Herge growing up, not Urge. The way he got this was he took his initials, R and J, or G and R, George Remy, and flipped them around to R and G, and then added a little bit of, like, French-Belgian accent on there. So it was like, R, G. R, G. See, that wouldn't work for me, C, M, because then I'd just be Seam. I don't think that would be a very good uh, pen name. A great pen 15 name, the Seam. The seam. Mm. Would I be Slizzly? <laughs> He'd be the Eam. No, well, Eam. I, I use my real name, I suppose. The East? Ugh, I don't know. Travis, you'd be the Teal. <laughs> yeah, know. Teal. That's kind of good. Well, I'd take it. I'd it take it. Cool. Yeah, Teal. So, well, uh, I think Boy Scouts are a great or is a great organization in some respects. I learned a lot of good skills that I don't use um, and had a good time. In Boy Scouts, the main part of Boy Scouts is just a. When it comes down to it, is the groom boys for the military. That's what it is. Yeah, here's some discipline. Yeah. Here's some basic survival skills. Here's how to kill an insurgent. Also, your country needs you right now. I got my shotgun merit badge, you know, and uh, I remember <laughs> doing the rifling, and they had the Al Qaeda things at the end of the range because this was like you know when we we're in <laughs> Afghanistan, yeah. yeah, little terrorists that were shooting. Jesus. Um, yeah, when I was like uh, 12 years old, me and uh, family friends were on vacation in Pennsylvania, and we went to a shooting range, and all of the like targets were, most of them were like the carnival um, size stuffed animals with Osama okay. bin Laden's face on the front. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So it'd be like, here's this giant, giant pink bear that has Osama bin Laden's face on the front. Let's shoot it. Oh, he's... He's so cuddly, though. You see his beard? Wouldn't you want to just curl up in his arms? When I he know, right? That's true. It must be yeah. so warm. Yeah. <laughs> nice and warm <laughs> in that beard. Make my face warm. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, the Boy Scouts is mainly to groom kids for the military. Uh, an example is if you're in the Boy Scouts of America, and I believe this is still true today, if you reach Eagle, Eagle Scout, you automatically, if you and then you enter the armed forces, you automatically have a promotion. Yeah. Um, I think that's so, like, still you don't, true. Yeah, you, you come don't in start at the base level. Yeah, it's like you're you're already promoted. You're an Eagle Scout. You built a bench this summer for the local <laughs> church. You are an Eagle Scout, sir, and you shall skip ranks. Yeah. That's like, right? They built benches and then they um, get to skip ranks? 
the right. Eagle Scout project that I used the most was the uh, life jacket hanging stand at the camp that Lizzie and I met at. Yes, thank you for oh, that. I appreciate yeah. that because I was in charge. Way of to go, sure Rudy. That was in that, actually, really shout show. out, Rudy. You're probably not listening, but that was a great Eagle Scout project. Still in, still working. He was someone I went to camp with. He was an Eagle Scout. <laughs> they should take like the military SEALs music. Was that saliva? Like that dun, 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 dun. And just have like Boy Scouts making fences at churches and that fucking yeah. <laughs> life jacket thing. Just like, hell yeah, you want to join the military? You got a little Here's Boy Scout. A bench. <laughs> yeah, make a bench. <laughs> I built a trash holder. Look at this birdhouse. It's massive. Uh, George was not immune to this propaganda, and he signed up for the military in 1929. And, you know, it re- he quickly realized that it was not a life for a little sensitive artist boy. He didn't like the conditions of life at the barracks. Um, he was giving up all these upper middle class standards that he had grown up in in, in Brussels uh, and he wrote his mother uh, this in quotes I'm a little soldier boy who's missing the arms of his dear mother <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man what a wuss <laughs> what, uh, what did his parents do for a living do you know or uh, I can't remember off the top of my head um, they're just they, like they were, average middle they class were, type yeah they were definitely upper middle class in Belgium and, and you know what? He joined at a he joined at a good time because the first world war is over, second world war hasn't started yet. I was gonna got say this interim period, right in that sweet spot, nineteen twenty nine for Belgium. You're gonna wash out before thirty nine. You're set. You know? Yeah, yeah. Belgium had some sort of reserve system uh, during the interwar period, so he's only at the barracks for about a half a year. Um, he returns back to Brussels. Lands himself a sweet job at a Catholic newspaper called Le Vitem Salé, which was the 20th century. And this is all thanks to an abbot by the name of Norbert Wallé. Now, Wallé had heard about him through the Catholic scouts, and he was like, dude, you draw this, draw this terrible comic with this Boy Scout boy. Why don't you draw for my magazine? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Working up the ranks. Yeah. <clears throat> So, Hergé did a bunch of covers and ads for the 20th century, and then Wale was like, all right, we're going to make a kid's paper called uh, Le Petit Vinitim, which is the little 20th. He's like, I got a perfect (laughs) idea for the star comic. You remember that Todar guy you drew? Let's just draw him again, except this time he's going to be a boy reporter, and his name is going to be Tintin, or as the French call him, Tantan. Wait, um, so he didn't even come up with the idea his, by himself? Someone else mm-hmm. was like, make a boy reporter comic, name him Tintin? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Wale actually has credit of being a co-author, even though he didn't really do anything, but he thought of the idea. So, yeah. <laughs> so Wale walks around, he's like, I'm a co-author of Tintin. <laughs> I just love that Like this guy got real famous and was like, for these stories that... Someone else came up with the yeah, f- right? initial idea. Yeah, no. Uh, Urge is um, he's kind of lazy, uh, as we'll find out. It'd be like finding out that Walt Disney's barber was like cutting his hair. Was like, you should make a mo- a moving picture about a mouse. It'd be real funny. <laughs> yeah. Have him whistling on a boat. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we're gonna get into Disney eventually, but I feel like Disney stole half of his shit anyway. Yeah, they're constantly doing that stuff. Yeah, so he's like, make this boy reporter Tintin. 
he's going to travel the world and inform all the little Bel Belgian kids about shit that's happening. And now Hergé was all about it, and Wale was like, all right. So we had to think of the perfect fun place to send Tintin on his first adventure. And they th sat and thought about it, and then Wale's like, how about the newly formed Soviet Union? That place <laughs> sucks so much. And so he gave Hergé a book on the Soviet Union, and Hergé created Tintin and his little fox terrier, Milnyu, or known as Snowy in English, and they went off to uncover the evils of socialism. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You know, if it was, since it was a French newspaper, I was thinking it could go either way, really. Like, it could be either be uncover the evils of socialism or show off how great the Soviet Union is right now, especially in the right. 1920s, 1930s. Yeah. yeah, it's a very tumultuous tumultuous time right now in Belgium and France uh, in terms of socialism and capitalism. As we can see, you know, with Tintin going to uh, the Soviet Union, uh, Wale had an agenda for his paper. Um, and by that I mean he his paper was an ultra right conservative Catholic newspaper. Um, All right. Uh, Wale, in fact, was a huge fan of the screaming potato that was Mussolini. He was a big mm. fan of uh, Spanish and Italian fascism. Oh, okay. A particular yeah. type of fascism. I see. Yeah, not not German fascism. He wasn't no. a fan of that, but you know, they, the ones that have more <laughs> theater involved. He didn't like short guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so he was also affiliated with the Rexist movement in Belgium, which is basically the fascist Catholic right. And the paper was all was filled with all sorts of editorials, anti-Semitic garbage, and stuff like that. You know, the typical right-wing crap you'd find in yeah papers nowadays. <laughs> uh, you could probably say that Wale was like the Alex Jones of Belgium in the 1920s. Oh, ah, wow. So they were okay. turning the frog legs gay. <laughs> yeah. The global Those Capri Suns, though, you have to watch out for those. Yeah. Those will turn your kids gay. Watch made, out, people. It's Capri Sun is made by George Soros. They're trying to corrupt the Belgian waffle. So Urge was not very political himself. As he kind of just, like, the way I kind of just saw him is he just kind of drifts around and, like, if... You know, he gets, you know, if he gets a job here, like, he'll do it. He aligned himself with a lot of right-wing Catholics, royalists, and Rexists, but he never really went to any rallies or anything like that. Um, and he kind of, over the course of his life, you know that old bullshit phrase, like, the older you get, the more conservative you get, you know? Yeah, or it's that. like, you're younger, you're a Democrat, you're older, you're a Republican. Yeah, Urge was, like, the complete opposite of that, because... As he got older, he, like, became influenced by, like, Eastern uh, philosophy and kind of grew more liberal. Then when he was young, he was just, like, involved in this Catholic movement by proxy. He just wanted to draw cartoons. Regardless of the politics, Urge was excited to have his very first comic strip. And uh, he, he had worked on a few others, but Tintin was his main strip, right? He had some few other ones going on. Now, Tintin was one of the f very first comics to feature word bubbles, which you think of as just kind of standard practice. But, like, before that, it was like they just drew a picture, and then in the bottom, there's, like, a little blurb, right? Um, Urge wasn't the first person to use them, but he helped standardize it. He had seen some New York comics that were using them, and, 
you know, Urge kind of set up like, all right, well, you read it down and you read left to right, you know. Oh, that's okay. cool. Very so, interesting. So Tintin's first adventure, Tintin in the Land of the Soviets, ran from 1929 to 1930. Uh, it was innovative, but overall probably uh, the least interesting to modern readers. The strong points that Urge had from the beginning was that he was really good at conveying motion. Uh, he always said that when he drew Tintin, uh, it was like he was watching a movie so like you know it's it seems so we kind of take it for granted now but like there's scenes in that uh comic where like tintin's driving a car and the whole thing about tintin having his little flippy do in the front which is like his iconic mm-hmm. little quiff quaff in the front yeah, his little quaff thing yeah it started when he was driving a car in Tin- tintin in the land of the soviets and then he just kept it but like it showed motion as if he was driving fast ah. in this little car the the 1999 Canadian show. That's the one that you sent, right? The, yeah. The, okay, so is that his drawings, or is it just like people basing it off his style? So that is, the 1999 version is super close. Like, they did such a good job recreating okay. um, the original comics, like, like almost panel to panel. I was going to say um, the action scenes were really well done. And so yeah. like that makes sense that he was such a pioneer in motion because like the action scenes in that were really good. Right. Yeah. He was always like, I love little action movies. Like I said, he liked Buster Keaton and, you know, mm-hmm. that was like the action hero. That was the rock of silent films, you know, <laughs> yeah. Buster Keaton. So, And you can see like the slapstick stuff too that came in. Yeah, that too. Another strong point was the clarity of his comics. So since... Urge had been working on covers and advertisement. He knew the power of crafting strong visuals that were easily recognizable. You know, you do like a big print on a billboard. You want everyone to know what you're looking at, you know? Yeah. It's like the <laughs> um, idea that like a good comic strip um, doesn't need any words. It can all be like language. Like can read, be read in any language, basically, where it's just like all you right. is the pictures. No, music is the... Universal language. Oh, okay. Not comics. <laughs> Not comics. <laughs> Come on, Connor. Music is the color of my butt. What is that song? I don't remember that one. <laughs> um, so in the beginning, his comics were just black and white, um, and were, he was it was later colorized. But that was his real genius was like using contrast in these frames, like using the black and white. Um, that he was still kind of learning in land in land of the Soviets, but. Um, like I said, that one was his first. It was a little rough. But anyway, Tintin was an instant sensation. Kids were writing the newspaper, um, and they actually had an event where they dressed up some kid as Tintin, and like he pulled into the train station as if he was coming back from Russia. And obviously from afar, <laughs> like, oh, look, it's Tintin. <laughs> wow, there he is. Yeah. I wonder if he met Chibaroshka. Oh. I don't know if Chibaroshka is later, though. Chibaroshka? Chibaroshka, he's like a Russian cartoon. Chibaroshka and his friend Gana and their friendship house. I can talk to you more about that oh, later. I just that's that's that, my that's my. The we, twin <laughs> boys are Russian um, American. Well, I don't know. Yeah, they're Russian. Yeah, so like they're they, American boys. They're born. The in mom America, was born in Russia, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they do a lot of Russian children's songs, and one of them oh, okay. is Gana the. Jazz crocodile. Well, well, that's yeah. That's one of one that's of the my characters favorite guy. Into Baraska. they love Ganna. It's but a crocodile Tiburashka... wearing a really nice fedora and a sweet red like marching band jacket. Oh but hell yeah! Like, 
Yeah. yeah, he's like an older, and he oh, and he works as a crocodile in the zoo. Is dangerous. Like, so, <laughs> being a crocodile in the zoo. So, so maybe so I, he knew Tintin. He, he, yeah, so these are old characters. These are they've right. been around for a while. <laughs> well, well, actually, part of how was your week? I stayed at this hotel over the weekend, and they were having a Russian outing for a company called Telecola, which I guess like just has like Russian TV shows. And it was wild. There was like this man walking around trying to beat up kids all drunk. <laughs> like, was there, vo- like, was there just vodka like, on the tables? I, I hear that's a thing. It was vodka and Jameson. They went through like eight the of like the party <laughs> bottles of Jameson. Yeah. Surprise here. But yeah, it was, it was nuts. Yeah. They were like singing in the hallways at five in the morning. Wow. It's crazy. I was like, did the invasion start already? Did they cross into Ukraine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got big on there quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, Instant sensation. As I mentioned before, Wale considered himself to be a co-author. He was like, this is great. We got to send Tintin to a totally not so controversial place next. How about the Congo? <laughs> I th- I thought you were going to say the Third Reich because it would be like 1936. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, well, I said Hitler's con- Germany. <laughs> I think the Congo is actually worse because uh, we did Probably. a whole episode on King Leopold II. Right now we are oh, dealing yeah. with King Leopold the Third, so right, right. Leopold the Second died like I think around when Urge was born, and Belgium just fucked up the Congo. You can go back and listen to that episode. Terrible, heinous war crimes. So while I was well, like, that's, one of the worst dudes ever. Yeah, let's send Tintin to the Congo. We the Congonese love Belgians. <laughs> <laughs> They'll love this cute little boy reporter solving yeah. crimes in their, among their tribe. <laughs> There's no way this will be racist. With Wale at the helm, this was another political move. Uh, he wanted to, there was like a movement where he wanted to, they wanted to drum up Belgians to settle in the Congo because it was a failing colony. And obviously the world had seen how fucked up King Leopold II had did. But Wale's like, we got to send more Belgians over there. So. Tintin goes to the Congo, and of course, Urge never uh, went to the Congo for research. He just simply spoke to ex-colonists in Brussels. Um, so what you get is a really disgusting uh, depiction of the local black people. Uh, pretty heinous. Uh, you know, you got the stereotypical big red lips uh, that, <laughs> that, di- that Disney awful. was really fond of. Disney yeah. was a big fan of that. Um, other stereotypes as the Congonese being like lazy, childlike. Um, there's a scene where Tintin is teaching a, a group of Congonese people about the world. And it says, my dear friend on the blackboard, it says, my dear friends, I'm going to talk to you today about your fatherland, Belgium. Uh, so very <sighs> colonial funness uh... going on. <laughs> That was later changed. Um, I, I was going to say, I'm going to guess they, the Canadian uh, 1999 version did not adapt this chapter of Tintin. <laughs> right. So I was going to talk about this. The, the first two, the, the Soviet one and the Congo one, I own copies of them because I'm a big Tintin nerd. Um, but they're very hard to come by. Usually if you get a comp- compilation of Tintin, it skips over the first two. Because these were like... Three. Yeah, these were very... Wale had his agenda. And while the comic itself was pretty neutral politically, obviously there were these you know racist stereotypes in there, but they're best forgotten. 
Yeah, it's a little like Star Wars. Just skip to episode three. Forget about episodes one and two. Yeah, yeah. Dude, episode one's the best. It's got Jar Jar in it, though. That's true. And it does have the Darth Maul, who's the got tool, dual-sided lightsabers. Dose, light. Yeah, I actually, I but when I moved, I had I gave my collection of Tintin comics to Taylor for his kids. Aww. But I didn't give That's him. So sweet. Uh, I didn't give him Tintin Goes to the Congo or <laughs> or uh, the Land of the Soviets. I was like, I don't think they really need to read that one. So Urge would later recognize that these drawings were not right. He would go on to describe that they were a product of their time. The reality of it was that Urge was no different than any other cartoonist at the time depicting black people. I mean, if you want to cancel, scream cancel over these things that Urge made, goodbye Disney, goodbye Star Wars. You ever, If you've ever ridden on the ride Splash Mountain, which is based off of Song of the South that Disney has Oof. tried to scrub out of <laughs> history. You are canceled, hoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Anyone who went on the Splash Mountain and got the t-shirt. Oh, I'm canceled. Shit. Shit. <laughs> Dude, I remember I went there when I was five. I think right when they around when they tried to wipe that movie off the face. And I have pictures of like me going on the ride and there's like a little tar baby, which is like the most racist part of the movie. It's like, oh, but that's Disney. So, you know, just saying. Um, so these Jewish uh, kids anyway. love Disney, by the way. We <laughs> all of us. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was <laughs> just, Disney. Just gotta say, Jew, Jewish kids love Disney. I'm saying, like, Jewish kids love, love Disney. Tin, Jewish kids love Tintin. There we as go. We'll find out. Oh, they're working on this newspaper. Wale is, uh, as a Catholic, he's pressuring all of his single staff members to wife up. You know, because you can't be in sin. All that shit. So after ah, a long okay. series, yeah, after a long series of rejection, George Remy Urge married uh, Germaine Creakin, who up until this point, like Urge had lived in his parents' attic. He's like pushing thirty at this point, but he's like, oh, this lady, she loves me. I work with her. We should get married. And the Abbot's like, yeah, you guys should get married. She's like, I don't want to marry this guy, but then they do anyway. <laughs> yeah. Is this going to be a story of a sad marriage? Is this what this is going to turn um, So I just want to make an observation. He lived in his parents' house till he was in his 30s, married yeah. a woman who didn't seem to really want to marry him, very Catholic, and in the Boy Scouts? Yeah. There so, you go. Maybe... I, I don't get it, Connor. I Could you explain uh, more? Standard, yeah. This is why I married a research artist, because I need things explained I don't want to, to do me. that historical trope of every time two men are friends, they're like, oh, gay. But, mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They were really happy. You're right. Yeah. Was he really happy, Travis? <laughs> <laughs> the two were married. Uh, you know, the beginning of it, they were happy, I guess. I mean, she was, like, not really about him, but it was kind of a working relationship. She would help uh, Urge with writing Tintin. Now, uh, Wale was removed from the paper due to a scandal within the Catholic Church. And now, surprise, you'd be like, this is probably going to be boy-touching. Wasn't boy-touching. Uh, Stole money no... from the poor box. I mean, I don't actually know exactly what it was, We, but <laughs> okay. they, they meant, the book I read was like, definitely not boy-touching. So maybe it was boy-touching. 
Was it girl touching? Girl, ooh. That's also what the Catholics I mean, they, do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. say girls are not... They don't discriminate. You know, unfortunately, yeah. they do not escape this type of... Uh, Right. In the Catholic Church. All right. So anyway, yeah, Wally did, is out. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They they did the same thing that they did where they just moved him away. You know, he's still part of the church. <laughs> they moved him, and he became the watchkeeper for some ruins, like of an abbey somewhere. You know, uh, <laughs> a long like Catholic. He became tradition. a newspaper editor in like a different part of Belgium. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> same exact job, same country, just three towns over where they don't talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> so the adventures of Tintin continued. His next stop was America. Now again, Tintin or uh, Urge had never been to America. He actually only went there once in the seventies. So he's basing this all off of movies and word of mouth. It's interesting because when he drew black people in America, he didn't draw them the same way they did in the Congo. He drew them as like kind of regular looking. Um and Still you'd be a little like, racist, but just like ten percent less. Yeah, ten percent less. Yeah, like maybe Tom and Jerry level racism, like where they still air it on TV. Um, and you'd imagine that he'd probably be racist towards the Native Americans, but interestingly enough, Urge was like super interested in Native American culture. He's actually just generally interested in culture in general, which is why I don't think that he's in my opinion, like mean spirited in terms of like a lot of these things, they're definitely antiquated, but yeah, it's uh, an yeah. antiquated interest yeah. though. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you want, if you're a kid in Belgium and you're like, I want to learn about native Americans because like, that seems like a cool culture. I'm going to go see the Hollywood movies. They make about it. Cause that's the most readily access <laughs> information I have. Right. <laughs> He actually it might lend itself to some uh, bad conclusions. Yeah, in the book I was reading, like he before he did the trip to America in the seventies, he went because you know he's involved in the Catholic Church, so he went to meet this like priest who was like super into the Sioux, and the guy had never been to America either, but like he had written letters back and forth to like some Sioux like uh, leaders or whatever, and. They went and like did a Sioux ritual where I think it might have been like one of the the first times Urge like smoked weed. <laughs> He's like, we smoked the magical herbs and tobaccos. <laughs> and did the natives like you know Sioux practices? Good for him. Yeah. The next uh, Tintin adventure, 1933, was to the Orient. Ooh, probably not the best name again, but <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. Um, originally. Uh, this was all one big series, Tintin Goes to the Orient, but if you're a fan of Tintin, it's now two volumes. It's known as Cigars of the Pharaohs and the Blue Lotus. So the Blue Lotus is actually set in Shanghai, and um, it's a very transformative story for Hirsch because, um, yeah, Hergé. <laughs> very transformative story for Hergé as um, this is where the true Lena Claire style was invented so this like that basically just means uh clear lines so urge was like urge was never really into shading everything was done again like contrast like you're thinking black and white so like he's not doing cross hatching or anything it's all just like a clear drawn line with like th things in shadow or things out of shadow hmm, okay yeah 
Now, were these in color by this time? No. So everything was still in black and white. Um, after okay. the war, he starts to colorize them. And that was basically okay. just to... I didn't really go into that in the script, but he colorized it basically to um, market to the French. Because right now, it's all very just in Belgium. Um, and he his publisher in France was like, the French are never going to read a black and white comic. It needs to be in color. So, right. so not till after the war is when the color happens. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> um, now, another big transformative thing here with the Shanghai and the Blue Lotus was that her Hergé was actually introduced to a Chinaman. I don't know if that's a racist term, but a Chinese person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's what Hergé said. <laughs> yeah. Guess what I meant today. Yeah. So a guy named Zhang Shangren... Uh, was a Catholic Chinese art student studying in Brussels, and Hergé and Shang became very good friends. Uh, they talked to each other their entire life via letter. Um, not only did Hergé learn about Chinese culture and Eastern philosophies from Zhang, Zhang also in introduced her Hergé to Chinese ink and calligraphy, which had developed that whole oh. clear line style that I was talking about. Okay. Um. Zhang was, like, way better artist than Hergé ever was. So he picked up all this, you know, stuff from this guy, you know, like how to draw, really. Because before this, the first three comics, like I mentioned, they were just, like, it's kind of like Todor. It was, like, a little bit weird looking. And then he kind of gets, he kind of nails down the style. Um, he finds his stride. Yeah. Just because he's learning doesn't mean that there isn't racial depictions in uh, The Blue Lotus. Uh, at the time, this came out in, like, the mid-30s, uh, Japan had invaded Manchuria, and part of the story um, told in the Blue Lotus was this invasion. So we have some uh, stereotypical Japanese people, because uh, Shang obviously didn't like the Japanese because they invaded. So, you know, you've got no, that. No, you're not going to like the Japanese in 1934. Not very pleasant people no. to be around, <laughs> especially in Manchuria. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but again, he. this was almost like kind of like the first time, because like Wale is off in this ruin, so this is kind of like the first time Hergé is kind of like able to almost express his views politically without having like right-wing shit. So like obviously the Japanese were doing bad things in Manchuria with this whole invasion. But you could argue so at the time that they were the right wings. So. Yeah, right? So like he's like, hey, look at how fucked up they are, you know? It... You know, to a child, you know, it's not like going into details, you know. Blue Lotus was so successful that Chiang Kai-shek uh, actually <laughs> personally invited Hergé to China. We, we really? might, Yeah, wow. we might talk about him in the future. Wink, wink. Oh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um, and, he, and later, Chiang Kai-shek would actually offer Hergé a job. Draw, um, he's like, hey, do you want to come to China and draw... Prop nationalist propaganda for us and Hergé was like nah problem is it's the late 1930s in Europe and like shit's getting fucked here <laughs> yeah there's propaganda to be drawn here yeah <laughs> so skipping over a few other Tintin adventures Hergé uh, he actually sends out some a stack of Tintin comics to Disney because Disney's happening the same time and he was really interested in making a Tintin cartoon and Disney actually just sent him back the comics. Like, oh, no shit. letter, just return address. 
yeah. Return to Sunder. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, that probably happened to a lot of people, though. Oh, like, yeah. Right? Yeah. They probably just sent everything back to people. Yeah. They probably sent shit. I just love that there. that's your rejection letter. Like, imagine if that's how college <laughs> applications worked, where it's like, I applied to this college, and then you just get your own application back in the mail. Like, nope. <laughs> Yeah, Here, send hold this, on to this. Send this to someone else, sucker. <laughs> I literally would have gotten seven applications. We don't even want to. That's miserable. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even want to sully your application in our trash. I think that Please. Been, I think that would have been worse than the Dispose letter. Dispose of this yourself. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Something that Walt Disney was a very fond of um, was the year 1939. Because 1939, Hitler. Whoa. He's having a field day in Europe. And Walt Disney loved Hitler. Pushing home oh, yeah. Walt Big Disney. <clears throat> Walt Disney and Henry Ford, two great Americans. Oh, and Charles Lindbergh that all loved Hitler. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Hitler's fucking up Europe. In fact, he's fucking up the whole world. And now, Hergé and his right-wing paper, not a fan of the Nazis. They openly mocked Hitler and national socialism. They liked Mussolini and... Uh, Who's the other? Who's the guy in Spain? Um, Franco. Franco. Yeah, loved Franco and Mussolini, but uh, not Hitler so much. Mm. Now, Hergé was briefly called up to duty, but he was declared unfit in 1940 due to boils and uh, sign. Um, due to boils, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> just like boils in ge- like anywhere on your body, or is it like he was just like. It's like- he was just like a really sick guy all the time. He had boils on just him. Sitting, sitting down, cramped in his little Brussels apartment, just drawn. Mm-hmm. Gave him boils all over. Sounds pretty disgusting to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I'm being honest. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, his wife, you know, forced some Mary Mr. Boils over here. <laughs> <laughs> That's why she was so upset. Yeah. <laughs> it's the office joke. Oh, mother, he's covered in boils. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As the Belgian army fought off the German war machine, Hergé and his wife fled by car to France. Very important fact was that they took their cat with them, their little Siamese, um, which actually was noted in the book that like people were like, wow, you brought your cat. You're such a good guy. I left my cat <laughs> back like in good Brussels. Sounds like a guy to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into animal rescue, you know? Mm-hmm. Also, another decision in hindsight, like we're going to flee the Nazis... By going to France. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Might want to go a little further. A little further, maybe. Go hang out with your friends in Spain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so six weeks they lived in France, along with tens of thousands of other Belgians, as the Germans goose-stepped the fuck out of Belgium. King Leopold III officially surrendered Belgium to the Nazis May 29th or 28th, 1940. Um, and by June, the king was calling for Belgians to return back to Belgium. He's like, yo, if we fucked, we're fucked. You guys got to come back home. Uh, spoilers, France, like you said, spoiler, France is going to get fucked up. So you might as well come <laughs> back here. Now, Hergé was a royalist through and through, so when Leo said come back, he came back. Also, he took his cat, but he left his mother and father in Brussels. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and his brother, Paul, who, Paul was actually the man that 
he based Tintin off of. Paul was captured by the Germans and put in a POW camp and will remain there for the rest of the war. That's rough. Tough for Paul. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, that's not a good place to be. Especially that early in the war. You're, like, he spent six years in a POW camp, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's um, brutal. So one of the things, too, is uh, he's going to keep making comments, or uh, comics, and Paul was not very happy that he was like, I'm in a jail. I'm, I'm in a German <laughs> Nazi jail, and you're making comics? What the fuck? <laughs> I'm just imagining, like... Guards like sneaking him contraband comics that are like, hey, look at your brother who wrote this day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're stuck in here. Yeah. So Urge returned back to his apartment only to find that it was occupied by the German German army propaganda staffel, uh, the propaganda department of the German army. So he's like, fuck, that sucks. I don't have an apartment now. On top of that, Urge was also strapped for cash because just because your country's invaded and occupied doesn't mean that you still don't owe back taxes and debt. So, like, remember <laughs> that. Like, when China comes, like, pay your tax still because you're still going to owe the IRS. Taxes. <laughs> That's why they're invading is for that sweet, sweet tax money. Yeah. So the Petit Vetem uh, shut down when the Krauts invaded, so he couldn't go back to that. Urge was offered a job at Le Real, Le Pays Riel, which was the Rexis paper, but Urge declined because he thought it was too political. And then he took a job at Le Seul, which was Belgium's largest French-speaking paper, because in Belgium you have Flemish and French papers. Right. Now, the thing about taking a job at this paper is that all papers at the time in Belgium, because they're occupied by the Nazis, they had a special Nazi director that looked over all the editorials and made sure they weren't publishing like anything that was defaming the Nazis. And would occasionally throw some, you know, anti-Semitic, pro-fascist stuff. It was the Nazis were smart. They didn't want to be too like over the top with their occupied things. You know, they were They'd, like, let some editorials go through that, like, were, I mean, like, oh, Jews are right. But, like, they'd always kind of have their hand. They'd throw in their own little spice, but yeah. they wouldn't completely censor. Right. Unless you were, like, being too overt. Yeah. Now, lucky for Urge, uh, the Adventures of Tintin, pretty neutral, right? You know, this is a boy reporter. So, during the occupation, Urge would produce what many people consider to be the best Tintin comics of his career. Namely, The Crab with the Golden Claws, The Shooting Star, uh, Secret of the Unicorn, and Red Rackham's Treasure. Oh. oh yeah. So, you, you watched uh, Crab with the Golden Claws? Yes. About opium smuggling? <laughs> yeah, it was about drug smuggling, um... And they ended up in Morocco. Interesting to learn that that was written during Nazi occupation. Yeah. So like because that, yeah, the good guy that he that Tintin works with is a Japanese police officer. So when right. I watched it, I was like, oh yeah, this is post war. So this is Cold War. Jap Japan's our friends. Yeah, Japanese police officer. Now knowing that it was written during. German occupation, yeah, Japan's our friend, different friends. Yeah, different friends. When Japan was different bad, friends. bad boys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, but that was that one was really good. It was like just a good classic story. You got to see a plane strafe a boat at one point. You got a kidnapping. You had an escape. 
it's got all the good comic, uh, like, you know, good comic adventure stuff. There's a a vision in the desert. It's got all the classics. Yeah, and remember, this is, like, groundbreaking at the time, right? Yeah. This isn't, uh, I feel like, you know, the guy going insane in the desert has always been, you know, you see that a million times now. I mean, I'm sure it existed before that, but still pretty fresh. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Urge introduced my favorite character, drunken, cursing sailor Captain Haddock. You saw him in the uh, in the episode. Uh, yeah, he was great. I did not realize that that was his introduction as a main character. Yep, very cool. Always love a drunken, cursing sailor. Yeah, he's got a nice uh, anchor. Guy. He always has a, a, or at least in that episode, he has a sweatshirt that had an anchor on it. That way, you could remember that's the captain. It's classic. classic. Okay, yeah, of course. Good, classic like a little na- uh, recognition. Yep. Thing. Perfect. It's that it's that turtleneck with the uh, the the anchor on it. Um, you know, I, so Trent, I didn't. What's your tattoo of him? It's on my leg, and it's got a whole bunch of question marks about like over his head. He's just like confused. He's like shocked <laughs> and confused. I remember. So oh, I, I went through. I had because I owned most of the paper versions of Tintin, but I also like downloaded legally. Oh my god, on LimeWire, I downloaded all the uh, the files for it. <laughs> So I like went through every single like comic and looked at every panel with Captain Haddock in it and like picked that one. I went to the tattoo shop. I was like, I want this. I don't want you to do your nice. take of this. Like, and also the clear line technique. It's kind of hard to fuck up. You just draw the outline and color it in. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's good. it makes it for good tattoos. Yeah. What episode was it from? <sighs> I can't remember. Was Actually, it the I can't one. I, I can't even remember what. I think it might have been the calculus affair, uh, which is the one that came right out after uh, German occupation. But all right. So the comics were fairly sterile from the Nazi influence, with the exception of the shooting star. So the shooting star was primarily the plot of it was. Uh, meteorite lands to Earth, or a meteor lands to Earth. Does it become a meteorite once it hits the Earth? I forgot. It's an asteroid when it's going through space. It becomes a meteorite when it's in the atmosphere, and some no, it's a meteor in the meteor atmosphere, meteor and it's a meteorite when, when it, it hits, hits the ground. Okay, yeah. So they're they're going after some meteorite. I'm just gonna go with that. They're going after rock stone or a space rock, space it's rock stone. Space rock, yeah. Space rock. So a space rock falls to Earth in the Arctic Ocean, and on one side you have Tintin and a team of scientists. Now, conveniently, all of the scientists are from Axis countries. So you've got like an Italian (laughs) one, a German one, Belgian one, because they're occupied. Japanese. I was going to say, do they throw in like a Romanian? Yeah, I think there might actually be a Romanian. There's like 10 of them. And on the other side, you have the nasty Americans who are financed by the evil Mr. Blumenstein, the evil Jewish banker from New York. Mm. Uh, Of course, he's drawn with the uh, stereotypical huge nose. Uh, I was going to say, what does he look like? Is he wearing a yarmulke or do they not go that on the nose? No, No, they don't put yarmulkes on those guys. They just do the big noses. Yeah, they they might put him in like a bowler hat and give him the payas. So like it's like hinted at. But it's like, yeah, they kind of went overboard a lot. Oh, I know, but... I think it's the big nose and the cigar, and he's wearing, like, a suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, okay. <laughs> that type of... Uh... And they just keep calling him Blumenstein. <laughs> yeah. This is Blumenstein. So, post-war, her Urge would actually rename Blumenstein to Mr. Bowinkle and change the American <laughs> flag to a fictional 
country. The problem was was when he changed the Bowinkle, which was spelled B O H L W I N K E L. Bowinkle is actually also a Jewish surname. <laughs> <laughs> so he changes it and he he didn't change the drawing to another one you know, so, but then he finds out right, it's like alright I won't do a Blumenstein I'll call him Goldberg is that alright? <laughs> yeah, is that good? is that good? Um, he also would go on to state that had he known that the Germans were sending Jews to concentration camps for the final solution he would have refused to depict Blumenstein the way he did um, even though he had probably witnessed Jewish residents in Brussels wearing stars and being wrangled up by guards, he claimed in quotes, we were all ignorantly blind of the situation. That's what it was. All of Europe was just yeah. ignorantly blind. You're right. <laughs> How right. Could, it was just those darn Nazis. They had no help. Pulled the wool over our eyes. <laughs> yeah. All right. As a Jewish person who, yeah. who has been to... I've been to Sachsenhausen concentration camp, and mm -hmm. my mother and I were pulling up to it, and my mom's like, we're in a regular neighborhood. Where the hell are we going? And we're going to concentration camp. I'm like, yeah, we're going to concentration camp. It exists in the middle of a regular neighborhood. Really? Like, houses are lining the concert, and like, this is, these are houses that have been there. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, so people were. Everybody knew. <laughs> like you know knew. but like everyone knew but yeah. also like it's crazy what people like still like lived like like what sort of fear you live in to live like that right and like you know fear does that i feel you. like i feel like i wish people knew more about that concentration camp because they always talk about dachau and like auschwitz which were like in the middle of the woods I think Eli Wiesel might have been in sex now. Yeah, he went through. Or his he went dad through it. Because a lot of people also went. It was like through a stage. It was like the staging like camp for Western Europe. Right. So like all the Jews in Western Europe would usually stop in Sachsenhausen on their way to the death camps in Poland. Because it's like right outside of. Um, it was like the Berlin. center of the train lines. Right. It's not, it's not like yeah, it's pretty close to Berlin. Yeah, it's just where all the train lines would lead, so that's yeah. why most would end up there. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, so, yeah. Sure, he was innocent. Yeah. <laughs> well, He may right. have not realized the extent, perhaps. I'll yeah. give him yeah. that. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know. But he definitely wasn't too curious about where his Jewish neighbors were. If Donald up. Trump shows up and he's like, hey, buddy, you're going to go live out the rest of your life playing Salute Your Shorts in reality, the Nickelodeon show, as an adult, I'm like, I'm going to camp, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, also during the occupation, as I mentioned before, Urge uh, works with the publisher Casterman to colorize the volumes of previous Tintin comics, as I said, to sell better in France. Um, so, Urge was in the middle of writing the, or drawing the Seven Crystal Balls on September 2nd, 1944, when the Allied troops liberated Brussels. Now, this is good, right? You know, yay! Mm -hmm. Good news. Probably, Celebrating. Probably not I so... Think? Yeah, probably not so good for Urge. Um, oh, no. Because, unfortunately, Urge worked for Lesor, which was uh, labeled by the Belgian resistance as... Everyone that worked there was a collaborator, and they published their names in a uh, sheet called the Gallery of Traitors. So, Ooh. because they were working for this paper, instantly a traitor. Not the newspaper you want to be in. The Gallery of Traitors. Yeah, yeah. 
So Urge was arrested the f- day after liberation. He would was released and arrested four more tw- times. Urge was also blacklisted and deemed unpl- uh, unemployable. Um, and lucky, he was actually one of the lucky ones that worked at this newspaper because a few of the employees were executed, uh, and a bunch of them served life sentences or long um, times in jail. I mean. I just kind of was thinking, like, what would you do in that position, right? There's some people that were spewing hate, obviously, but like, you still have to survive. You know what I mean? So we're yeah. Well, well, yeah. That's why it's like that's why the Holocaust happened. Like there was, it becomes just like a casual, right. like living under occupation becomes a casual thing, right? Well, Where so like because like, you just want to survive day to day, and that's yeah. the problem. That's right. why it's so effective. So, and I mean, I think we probably will go into at some point, especially in France, how crazy that got after. I think we did that with uh, Coco Chanel, actually, a little bit with uh, how, I mean, she was an asshole. How Nazi. they treated with collaborators. Yeah. Nazi. Uh, but, uh, yeah, how they kind of treated the general public. And, you know, you could, it was almost like a witch hunt to some extent because you could just point your finger at someone and be like, they were not. I don't like this guy. This guy yeah. doesn't do his hedges every week. He's a Nazi collaborator. Get him out of here. And that guy could be hanging from a tree or shot. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. The fact that he, um, that like other people from the paper were like treated harshly. Yeah. Almost lends more credence to the fact that he was just, he just worked there. You know? Yeah. And like, if you work for that paper, you're going to have to publish certain things. We also don't have to publish everything. Yeah. Right. So just to, it's not like he was unknown though. Because again, Tintin's big. So the resistance actually published a satirical strip uh post occupation called The Adventures of Tintin and the Land of the Nazis. <laughs> oh my god. Complete with Tintin in like the SS, you know, uniform and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um Oh, so, Gruppenführer. Yeah. I found I've solved the mystery. <laughs> So, Hergé was starting to lose his mind. He was already kind of at the breaking point before Liberation because the dude just constantly drew comics. Like, every week, he had to draw, like, the cover. He had to draw, like, a weekly strip. He was, like, so burnt out on Tintin. And, like, he drew two additional comic strips every week. He was just mentally and physically exhausted. And now his country had declared him a traitor, a country that, again, he was pretty proud of, the fact that he was, like, a royalist, you know? Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's right, or you know, so Paul was released from the POW camp. His brother and Paul basically just wrote Urge out of his life. He's like, "You were drawing this Tintin comic while I was in this fucking jail. You're an idiot." Uh, Urge's mom has a mental breakdown and is committed to a hospital where she receives a re- electroshock treatment and dies a few <laughs> few years later. Uh, so not, not a very good few years for this guy. No, rough stretch. Yeah, Urge is actually forced to work under the name Olaf um, because, again, he can't illegally can't work. So he comes up with a new name. Um, his case for being a conspirator was kind of like put in limbo for about a year. Um, one of the judges put it that I'm inclined to close this case. I believe it would be ridiculous of the judicial system to go after an inoffensive children's book author and illustrator 
On the other hand, Urge's work at Le Sœur uh, during the war and his illustrations were what made people buy the paper. Oh. Right. Yeah. That's still that's just like a tough spot to be in for yeah. him, it sounds like though. I don't know, I'm kind of feeling bad for our dude right now. Because like if he had said, I want to go to another newspaper, would he have even had that option? You know? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean, I feel like the Nazi guys would be like, no, everyone wants to read Tintin, you're staying here. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like you well, yeah, you can leave, but it's gonna be for Goebbels's paper back in Berlin. Like <laughs> Yeah, right. That's where you can leave for. <laughs> yeah. So, after a year of living hell, Hergé was approached by a guy named Raymond LeBlanc. Uh, Now, Raymond was an ex-member of the Resistance, and he was interested in bringing Hergé on to his weekly magazine, children's magazine, that he wanted to call the Tintin Magazine. He's like, everyone loved your cartoon. I grew up on your comic. Uh, We're going to call it the Tintin Magazine. Problem is, you can't work, because you're blacklisted. But... Ray, being part of the resistance, was able to pull some strings here and there, you know, talk to some judges, and Hergé was officially dropped from the blacklist, and then they started this paper called Tintin Magazine. It's a bunch of controversy. People wouldn't buy his magazine for a while because they're like, this guy was a Nazi. <laughs> was it only in Belgium that they wouldn't buy his stuff, or was like his international reputation also damaged you know his international reputation at this point is very small so he's just breaking oh, okay. in so he's kind of purely like belgian yeah maybe france a little bit so as right now we're you know post-war this is when it starts to kick up and, and tintin's published in almost every language in the world at this point um but now he's just trying to break into france because i remember i was like the, his publisher was like you need to colorize it so french people will read it Everyone knows the French can't read black and white. Yeah. <laughs> we need color. It needs to be in the tricolor. Now, this is where kind of Urge's life post-war kind of turns not controversial. I was going to say controversial because this the controversial part was him during occupation, but this is where his life kind of just goes shitty. He kind of just becomes like a typical artist. So we're kind of just going to kind of blaze through this part because we've dealt with like broken relationships and, you know, prima donnas so many times. I feel like the real interesting part was the occupation and him kind of starting Tintin. It's all old hat, this stuff. Yeah. Um, He started to complain that he was a slave to Tintin. You know, uh, he published this one cover (laughs) where it's him like drawing at a table and all the characters of Tintin are around him and Tintin's holding a whip. He's like, draw, bitch. (laughs) Draw me. Draw me. Make me do adventures. Yeah. Send me back to the Congo. Right. Uh, He has these series of breakdowns where he would just like leave the magazine. And remember, this is a weekly comic strip at this point. So the editors of the magazine would have to explain to like their readers like why there's no Tintin comic in the magazine called Tintin magazine. <laughs> you know? That's got to be a rough job. Well, he wouldn't let anyone else draw the characters at, up until this point. And he always drew the even when he he's going to open up a studio, but he always drew the characters. Like people would do the scenery or like anything else, he always drew the characters. So, Hergé also starts... It's a lot of work. Yeah, Yeah, right? No wonder he was losing his mind. Right. (laughs) So, Hergé starts a series of affairs during the late 50s, early 60s, um, 
one of which was with a woman that he was vacationing with with his wife on vacation. So the three of them went on vacation. And he's just, he was like, honey, go check out the buffet. They have the extra shrimp sandwiches at the buffet. And I'm going to go bang this broad real quick. <laughs> <laughs> honey, we're going to bring my friend along for vacation. Yeah, right. Okay? Just, uh, you know her. You're friends with her. Come on. <laughs> you guys will get along great. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, you, there's all these great things for you to do there that I, neither of us want to do. Yeah. <laughs> the thing was, like, Urge was such, like, a good Boy Scout boy that he'd have these affairs and then he would always, like, just instantly confess them. So, like, he'd, <laughs> he'd like, bang someone and then, like, go to his wife and be like, oh, no. But I love her. Honey, it happened again. Like, it was the, an accident. Like, he wouldn't even, he wouldn't even, like, be like... You know, it wasn't even a fair for Urge. Like, he'd always, like, fall in love with his, like, side pieces, too, because he's an artist and all this shit. Um, an artiste. Yeah. So they go through... The two, the couple would go through periods of separation where, like, Urge would write these shitty, like, teen things. Like, I miss you. Life is terrible without you. Blah, 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 blah. Um, now, there was two reasons... Or two things that broke the camel's back on their marriage. One was the fact that Urge was a big fan of fast cars. He used to drive like a maniac. And one day, he gets in a wreck uh, where he walked away from the accident, but his wife shattered his her leg and had to put a steel beam into her leg in order to walk. Ugh. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. I just, I'm just imagining him walking away like, Bye, honey. Oh, uh, I'm going to go get help at the next town, but I have to keep drawing Tintin, so just hold on. Hold on. <laughs> So she's all like... Tintin's making me draw him. Yeah, she's all like... She has to relearn how to walk. She's like, my husband fucked up my leg. This is terrible. <laughs> and on top yeah. of that... Meanwhile, he's falling in love with her nurse. Yeah, on top of that, he he's in his 40s. He falls in love with a 20-year-old that was also his employee. A woman named Fanny, uh, who was a colorist hired by the newly formed Studio Urge. Basically, uh, the relationship between his wife and him came to an explosive end in 1960. The thing was, in Belgian law, they had to, they couldn't get divorced. So they <laughs> stayed together technically for 17 years before they were able to actually get divorced in Belgium. <laughs> yeah. That's a long time That's to be brutal. tethered to someone. Yeah, and he would... Ugh. He would go and, like, even though he was essentially married to this Fanny uh, girl, he would, like, go and hang out with his ex-wife, separated wife, like, once a week randomly just to be, like, cry about the shit that drawing Tintin. <laughs> I'm just imagining her, like, trying to walk and he's, like, complaining about his new girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> In the 60s, due to the influence of his younger wife, you know, in her, in her 20s, Fanny, Urge got into modern art. And he had a period of painting his own shitty abstract paintings. Uh, he was like, oh, yeah, I, I need to be a real artist. Drawing comics for babies and stupid people. <laughs> um, people basically looked at these abstract artworks. There's like, I think, was 32 of them that exist today. And at the time, people were like, yeah, just keep drawing Tintin, dude. You're good at that. <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna get any of his paintings tattooed on your back, Travis. No, I think I'll pass. I think I'll I'll take one. <laughs> Apparently, they're worth like millions of dollars, but you know, yeah. hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars. Mm, doesn't mean they're good. Though. Yeah. 
Uh, Urge became a big fan of people like Roy Lichtenstein and Andy Warhol. Uh, Warhol actually met Urge in Belgium and did a series of things. Because I don't really like to call Andy Warhol's works art. It's just kind of <laughs> stuff that he does. Yeah. Yeah. Paraphernalia. Yeah. <laughs> Canned soup. Urge became very annoyed at the comic book uh, Asterix, which is that little tiny... Like, he's like a Viking guy. You've probably seen him before. I've never really read Asterix. Um, Let me see this. Let me see this. I know Hagar the Horrible. (laughs) He's kind of like that. Hagar the Horrible. Uh, We looked up Asterix. All that came up at first was a shitty looking DJ. Oh, I know Asterix. Yeah. Asterix the Gaul. Yeah. Oh, I recognize him. Yeah. But I just, I wouldn't. No, I don't know him. I think Asterix is a real. Um, is it a DJ? Person, too. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know Asterix. Yeah, so that was actually becoming really popular in the 60s. And even though Urge hated drawing comics and was always baby idiot stuff, he just got really pissed off that he was getting eclipsed by Asterix. Um, I can't lose at the thing I hate. Yeah, although Urge had done a few stage adaptations of Tintin. Because Asterix made a cartoon movie, he was all set on, like, making a cartoon movie. So two Tintin movies were produced. Temple of the Sun in 1969, which he also made a comic of. And then Lake Tintin and the Lake of Sharks in 1972, which he did not make a comic of. It just exists in a movie. And they're not like the 90s cartoons. They look like shitty Scooby-Doo cartoons. Like, they're they're bad. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, probably a good thing that that ended. So towards the end of his life, um, we are, uh, sorry, towards the end of his life, he's approached by none other than Steven Spielbergs, who wanted to produce a live action Tintin movie, um, and requested the rights, which he got in the eighties. He got the rights to Tintin. <laughs> Urge was actually super stoked. He'd watched some Spielberg. He's like, I love you, Spielbergs. You made... Movies about aliens. You made movies about a guy with a whip. Big shark. Favorite. And so Spielberg's, Steven Spielberg's was, uh, he was, he held on to these rights for a very long time. It was like his passion project because Spielberg was like a, he was like a Boy Scout nerd. Like he loved the Boy Scouts, right? He did the Indiana Jones, young Indiana Jones thing where like Indiana Jones is a Boy Scout. Yeah. So he holds on to this for years and years and years. And myself, as a massive Tintin fan, was like, man, I'd be excited if Steven Spielberg made a live-action fucking Tintin movie. Fortunately, he didn't do that. He did a fucking shitty CGI abomination that came out in 2011 called The Adventures of Tintin. And Spielberg was so certain it was going to be a huge success, he picked one of the comics that was a two-parter. Still waiting for the second part, Steve. Uh, (laughs) It's been a while. I don't think it's happening. No resolution to that story. (laughs) Do you think it would have been better if he had just made it in the 80s really high on cocaine? Do you think it would have been a better movie? Dude, that would have been so sick, like Goonies type. Oh, that would be bullshit. Mm -hmm. That actually would have been good. It would have had um, less lax animal uh, handling laws on set, so the dog would have looked really great. Oh, yeah, they would have just stuck, like, cotton balls to it and shit. (laughs) With glue. Yeah. <laughs> Feeding it steak to get to do all the right things. 
All right, so let's wrap this whole thing up and we can decide Urge's fate. So in 1979, Urge is diagnosed with osteomyofibrosis. I don't, something where he needs to get blood transfusions every week. Uh, uh, and then let's just call it dropsy. Yeah, he gets blow. Yeah, why not dropsy? That's another <laughs> no, reoccurring dropsy, thing. Dropsy. Right? Uh, he actually came to the point where he had to get blood transfusions every like other day at some point. Um, and on February twenty fifth, nineteen eighty three, Urge suffered a cardiac arrest and was hospitalized in Brussels. Um, he was actually scheduled to meet with Steven Spielberg for the movie, and then he died. Um, now, there are some people that believe that Urge actually contracted AIDS due to tainted blood from the transfusion. You know, he's getting his, his blood transfused in his Very early possible. 80s. So people think yeah. that he might have... Very possible. Because he declined really quick, right? It was like, boom. Like, I don't know. He could have been diagnosed and on his first treatment got AIDS from the blood, you know? Right. Um, True. But wow, that is was the end of him. Now, Urge was working, before we decide, Urge was working on one last Tintin adventure, right? When he died, it was called Tintin Alf Art. It was really just a handful of sketches that Urge had drawn, um, but the studio finished it up in his honor. Uh, on November 1986, Fanny is... Then second wife, they eventually got married after the 17 years. Uh, closed <laughs> down Studio Urge and replaced it with the Urge Foundation. And upon his death, part of like his will, kind of unwritten will, was that no other Tintin adventure could ever be created post mortem, you know, post death. Right. Yeah. So you could uh, you could do the cartoons. Him. You just can't make another like i think i would also in like reproductions of it like unofficial unlicensed things like there's a tintin museum and i think i would probably have to wear pants because they get very serious even about tattoos because um, it's reproduced <laughs> oh, art shit. on my body <laughs> um you'd be you'd be banned from entering yeah that's urge and uh so what do you guys think do you think he was like a scumbag or do you think he was just like a dopey guy that just kind of closed his eyes and just did his job. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he sounds definitely more like a dope. I don't think he was necessarily a malicious asshole looking to blame, um, you know, his own problems on another race of people <laughs> or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. From, what, from you know, what you've told us, Travis, I'm gonna I'm willing to go with just, you know, ignorant and just wanted to sit and draw his little cartoons. Cool. I mean, this yeah. is also coming... Man of his time. Yeah, this is also coming from someone that has a tattoo, and I don't want you guys to think I have Nazi tattoos on me. So, <laughs> there's some bias here. You go what, do your own is this research. Why you did this, is this why you did this, Travis? Yeah. Is this why it's you... all the Lenny Reifenstahl tattoos that really throw me off, not the... Or... <laughs> I just I forgot the whole part where he was like talking about racial supremacy and the size of your skull is how smart you are. He <laughs> was a big phrenology guy. Yeah, big gotcha. phrenology. Uh, <laughs> All right, that changes. No, something. I'm willing to say, especially if like the fact that the other people in the newspaper got actual punishments and that judge said he seemed like he didn't really know what he was doing, even if he's the reason people bought this paper. Right. I'm willing to believe that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I hope to believe that because, again, also, I think one of the big things where I'm like, OK, I think I'm good and I got to get your 
approval. I mean, you, you kind of gave me your approval as well, Lizzie, where it's like, Steven Spielberg bought his movie. Like, Steven Spielberg's a Jew. Can't be that bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Steven Spielberg Very checked true. into it and was like, yeah. he gets my seal of approval. I'm going to make a shitty movie that will disappoint the fans of this great series. That's all we can ask for nowadays. Shitty remakes and shitty movies. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. What else is there? That's all there's nothing all original there anymore. That's it. That's it. Why'd you want anything original? <laughs> Sounds boring. They're going back to uh, Agatha Christie. That's how desperate they are. There's a new Agatha Christie movie <laughs> coming out. So <laughs> we we got Death on the Nile in 2022. Yeah. No one asked. for Everyone's that. Everyone's out of new ideas. No one asked for that, but they'd have no nothing else to work with anymore. <laughs> Well, Travis, thank you for sharing uh, your childhood love of this comic. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Glad I could sit in on this, hear more about your love for Tintin. I did really like the show. I think, like you said, it's it's got a timeless quality to it yeah. where it's just like such a simple little adventure show, you know? Yeah. It's also weird watching the cartoon because, I mean, I guess I grew up with it, but Tintin's so Canadian in it. He's like, what's this all about, Snowy? <laughs> and I was like, he's French. I like the uh, the two detectives were my favorite. Oh, Thompson the, and Thompson, um, Thompson and Thompson. Yeah. yeah, they were great. So they were called the. It was like Dupont and Dupont in uh, French, and apparently that was based <laughs> off of his father, who has was an identical twin. So it was du it was called like the Dupont or some things, which is like French for. I don't know. It was a French equivalent of Thompson and Thompson. Um, it's a yeah. It's a common. It's a common last name. Yeah, Dupont. Dupont. So okay. that's Tintin. Yeah, well, thank you, Travis. Yeah, I liked it. Thank you, Lizzie, for yeah, joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for joining. Ah, you did great. Thanks for having me. I mean, you know, here I am. I made it to the end. <laughs> you Saltmans are natural podcasters. Absolutely. Well, you gotta get me really talking about something I really know about and. Then you'll just be miserable, and you'll turn it off. <laughs> just not yeah, fun. I got you on the weird French uh, cartoon artist. <laughs> uh, yes, I know. I was like, I know nothing about this. Yeah, caught you on a good one. Yeah. This is good. This is good. You guys, this is definitely good. That's the extent you want to hear from me anyways. No one wants to hear anything more. No, shut up. <laughs> no. All right, yeah, I'll shut up. No, I will. no, no. no. Uh, all right, so all right. yeah, thank you for listening to Roast Mortem Cast. You can check us out on our socials. You go to patreon.com slash roast mortem cast. Get the things. Oh, get the things. And that is the show. Thank you, Shane. Bye, everybody. Bye.